Well, Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to Grace Fellowship. We're so glad that you're here on this New Year's weekend. I'd like to give greetings to the wonderful people at all of our locations. We're so glad that you're in worship today. Now, you know, as we kick off a new series, I feel like I probably ought to give a disclaimer here. Maybe you could even call this a spoiler alert. And I do this because, well, really, this series could be dangerous. I mean, this series could really mess you up. Let me explain what I mean. If you're a person who's looking for just a really calm, religious sort of life, without much commitment, without a lot of life change or transformation, wow, you ought to completely tune out for the next seven weeks because this series will definitely mess with your life. In fact, I'm going to make a prediction. I believe that God will use this series positively to transform and deepen the lives of hundreds. Indeed, I'll say thousands of us that are a part of grace. So I just want you to know you've been fairly warned. This series may be one of the most significant that we've ever had because we're talking about the expectations that our Lord Jesus Christ has for those who follow him, who call themselves disciples. And we're also talking about the expectations that grace has of the people that we call covenant members. You know, years ago, we did something very interesting. When Grace was just a year old, we started having membership at the church, an official, what we called covenant membership. And we decided to do something that I had never really seen done before. We decided to make membership meaningful. Now, what I mean is, uh, I had grown up in a church where there were about 100 people who attended Gum Springs Church, about 100 on a typical weekend. And that was, that was kind of average. In fact, still today, all across America, that's pretty average for attendance for so many churches. In fact, most, most average a little less than that. But while there were 100 attenders on a weekend, there were about 400 members on the church roll. Now, I didn't realize it at the time, but that's pretty normal. Again, that's just kind of average if you look at statistics all across the nation. Well, years later, I had the privilege of of working for and teaching with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. So literally, literally every single year, I would get to engage with thousands of pastors from all across this nation. And In the seminars that I would do and the plenary sessions, I would ask them to write down and turn this in, so I wanted to keep up with this. Two questions, the answer, I I was curious to two questions. How many people attend on a typical weekend, not Easter, just an average weekend at the church where you get to serve? And second, how many people are there officially on the church membership? And so I've kind of kept those statistics through the years, and again, the average of attenders to official members was about one to four. That's the average. Now, let me ask you something. 
since that is true, what does membership mean in the typical church? It doesn't mean too much. In fact, let's be brutally honest. To 75% of those people, it doesn't even mean enough for them to drag their carcass to the building on a typical weekend. That's how little membership actually means. By the way, I've continued to ask those two questions of colleagues of mine all across New England. Everywhere I go in a conference, if I'm involved teaching, I, I try to gather that data. I'm really curious about this because I think it says something about where Christianity kind of is in America and how people approach the local church. And I've continued to ask, and the average continues to be about one to four or one to three. Attenders to members. Now, it may be interesting to you, I don't know, that since we started some 22 years ago now, membership, church is 23 years old, what we've experienced is at Grace just turns those averages on their head. We have an average of one member for every four attenders. And I actually think that's kind of healthy because the truth of the matter is, if we're just being really candid about it, most church attenders simply aren't ready for how high Jesus set the bar. We're just not. Most church attenders that I know, at least, really aren't ready for the high expectations that Jesus has for the people who call him Lord and who claim to be followers of his. So in this series, we have three basic goals that I'd like for you to consider. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot these down. Goal number one is we all want to grow deeper. I hope we'll all grow deeper. As we often say, our mission as a church is more and better disciples. If you were trying to categorize this series in the more or the better, you would say it's really about better disciples. We want to grow deeper in our commitment. We want to be stretched and deepened in our relationship with Christ. Now, let me be crystal clear, and you'll hear me say this every single weekend in the series. If you do the seven disciplines that we're going to highlight in this series from a heart of love for Christ and you never become a covenant member of grace, I am ecstatic. Hope you're hearing that. And if you do these seven disciplines, positive, life-changing disciplines that we're going to highlight in this series, and you do it from a heart of love for Christ, and you also choose to become a covenant member of grace, I will be doubly ecstatic. But it's really about the disciplines. It's about how God uses these things we're going to talk about to positively transform your life. It's all about every one of us going deeper. I hope you're ready for that. That's why I gave you the disclaimer up front. That's why I gave you the spoiler alert. If you don't want that, you better just check out because this series is going to mess you up bad. Second goal is to, it'll be a great review for those of you who are already covenant members of Grace at all of our different locations, this will be a nice review of what we all as covenant members have already said, hey, we're into that. 
We're all about that. Yes, that's a part of my life, and I'm committed to these positive things as a covenant member. By the way, to all the covenant members, in the next few days, you will probably be getting an email uh, or a letter from our office inviting you to renew your covenant membership. You know, we used to do that every year. But that was pretty administratively heavy to do that every single year. And so, uh, three years ago, we said, why don't we try like a three-year period and then renew the commitment? Because we, we don't want just names on a church roll, you know? That's crazy. That's silly. It's ridiculous. We want meaningful membership. We want to know people really are still committed to these things and to grace as their team. And so, now is the end of that three-year period. So, you're going to get a just a, a notice saying, hey, are you still committed to these things? And if you are, you can just indicate it by saying. So, so it'll be a nice review for you. And then third, for those of you who may be considering covenant membership at Grace, this will be a great and timely introduction for you to what is actually involved in Grace's meaningful membership. So what is the first covenant expectation? Let's highlight it. Here's how it reads. It says, I will love, honor, and obey Jesus Christ above all else in my life. Understanding that my life is my ministry, I will seek to represent Jesus well at all times. Now, if you're taking notes, I would ask you to write somewhere near that statement, somewhere on your note sheet, the word lordship, because this is really a statement about lordship. Can you really say and mean it, Jesus Christ is the leader, the CEO, the manager, the master. Choose whatever word works for you that gets the idea across, he's in charge and I'm not. He has a right to call the shots in my life. That's what this first statement means. Can you really affirm that and say it with a straight face and genuinely mean it? Now, if we really understood that statement, folks, we wouldn't need to say anything else. Because if you really understood that statement, that means if Jesus said, I want you to quit what you're currently doing, I want you to move to Mozambique and be a part of an exciting adventure there for the rest of your life, in my name, you would say, yes, sir, and gladly go. Why? Because he calls the shots, we don't. He's in charge, we're not. He's the leader, he's the Lord. He has a right to do whatever he wants in my life. He owns me, he redeemed me, he's the author of my salvation, he's the author and the finisher of my future, he's in charge of my destiny. I know I owe everything I am and everything I have to him. Why would I ever, why would I ever even hesitate to gladly and joyfully obey whatever he wants me to do. That's a no-brainer, just a no-brainer if you understand that statement. Our culture doesn't understand that statement. We don't even get close to understanding that statement. And so what we really do in our covenant is we really give six sub-points to that. If we understood that, that'd be all we'd need to say, just end of story. But because we don't understand that at all, we just list a few things. They're not exhaustive, 
We could list dozens of things that would be a part of any healthy disciple's life. We just list six more things that the scripture is crystal clear on that any healthy follower of Jesus is going to be engaged in these things. It's, it's just total no-brainer kind of stuff. And again, if you do these things, I am going to be ecstatic, but much more important, the Lord, <laughs> the Lord is ecstatic whenever any one of his children engages in these life-changing practices. So let's look at it again more closely. Here it is, and I want you to notice the italicized part. I will love, honor, and obey Jesus Christ above all else in my life, understanding that my life is my ministry. And I'm not going to wear that out today, but in the coming weeks, you'll hear more and more about that, because that's an important phrase to me. In fact, you'll often hear me say, I don't have a ministry, my life is my ministry. I say to pastors and staff, all that you don't have a ministry, your life is your ministry. If there's not a ministry flowing from your life, out of your heart, if you only have a ministry because somebody gave you a title, you don't have a ministry. Your life is your ministry. And you cannot effectively lead people someplace you've not already gone and you're not already journeying. So I'll say a lot more about that, but not today. Here's the part I want to really camp out on today in this first just kind of introductory message. I will seek to represent Jesus well at all times. Now, there's a verse that I hope we're all really familiar with. It's in Acts chapter 1. It's verse 8. No doubt if you've been around church much, you've heard this verse many times. It's one of those statements Jesus made just before ascending to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He said, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He said, you'll be my witnesses. Now, a witness bears testimony and we could kind of paraphrase that verse to say, hey, as you go, whether you go far away or whether you're closer at home, whether you cross cultural barriers or not, I want you to represent me well at all times. Now, dear friend, if you believe the Bible to be true, and if you believe that Jesus knew what he was talking about, if you do, Believe he knew what he was talking about when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, if you believe that. And if you believe that heaven is real and hell is real, and I fully believe that both are real, then this whole idea of representing Jesus well will revolutionize your life. I mean, you don't need any more purpose than that, really. When you get that, I mean, you got a reason to get up every day. Every meeting you enter, you're there to represent Jesus well, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. You're Jesus' representative. You're an advertisement for Jesus. Your whole driving goal in life should be, get this now, here's the way I like to put it, that people would actually think more of Jesus because of their acquaintance with you. Now, let me just ask you, please don't blurt out the answer, but just think about it. Is that true of you? Are you representing Jesus in such a way? What a great 
thought this is as we enter a new year? Are you representing Jesus in such a way that people tend, tend to think more of Jesus because of their acquaintance with you? <laughs> Boy, I tell you, that's enough to think about for a while, isn't it? The strange irony of that is that it's actually easier to go halfway around the world and represent Jesus than it is in your own home. Amen? Isn't that true? Because the people at home know you, warts and all. They know your story. They know you at your worst, probably. And the skeletons aren't in the closet. They're etched in their minds because they know you. It's actually easier to go to people far away often than it is to try to represent Jesus well to those closer. I believe there's a couple of beautiful examples of representing Jesus well and helping be like a magnet that draws people to Jesus in John's gospel. I just want to look quickly at a couple of them and use this as a launch pad for this message. And then we're going to get real practical and talk about how we can do this in the new year. We read in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did, note those words there. I kind of highlight those words in my Bible. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. A new Christian once asked the great evangelist Dwight Moody, how long does a person have to be a Christian before they can start telling other people about Jesus? And Moody responded, how long does a candle have to burn before it starts lighting up the room? Andrew didn't mess around. He met Jesus himself. He went after his brother Simon. He brought him to Jesus. He didn't bring bring him to a political party. He didn't bring him to a socioeconomic group or to a fringe theology. Brought him to Jesus. We say lost people matter to God. Do lost people matter to you? Do you really care about them? People who are far from God, Andrew cared, and because he cared, he acted. And I want you to look at one other story here in John 1. It's kind of the story around Philip. He, too, was a magnetic representative of Jesus. I think a good example for all of us. Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? 
Can any good thing good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. Now think about this, these two guys. Andrew met Jesus, brought his brother Simon Peter. Philip met Jesus, went after his friend Nathaniel and brought him to Jesus. Andrew and Philip were obviously representing Jesus well. We're looking for covenant members who are doing that. I'd love to see just a church full of people who say, I love Jesus, and that the world would say, you know what, there's something positively distinctive about those people. Oh, they're not perfect. They're far from perfect. We know that. In fact, they're very honest about how imperfect they are. They're very humble about it. They laugh at themselves a lot. But you know what I can say about those people? Those people are not hypocrites. They really pursue the things they say they value and believe. That's the kind of people whose lives are so winsome. John Wesley, the great church leader, put it like this, our responsibility is to give the world the right impression of God. Now, let's just stop. Just push pause on everything for a moment. We'll be right back into the sermon, I promise you. But let me just stop there, and let's get real personal. How are you doing with that? How am I doing with that? When people look at our lives, do they get the right impression of God? Hey, listen, if our lives are just overwhelmed with anxiety and worry... If our lives are racked by sexual promiscuity, if our lives are extremely self-centered and it's all about us, we're probably not a good advertisement for Jesus, are we? Really? People are are getting the wrong impression of God and who God is. if we're extremely judgmental, if we're quick to fly off the head, they're probably not getting a good impression of who God is, are they? It's a good question to ask, especially at a time like this as we're just entering a new year. And the problem is, if we're not giving people the right impression of God, our very lives, now this is a sobering thought, and I promise you, I'll encourage you after this, okay? I've just, just got to lay some groundwork. <laughs> Our lives actually become a barrier to people coming to God rather than a bridge. What we want is our lives to be a bridge so that people can walk across that bridge and meet God. We don't want our lives to be a barrier, but I believe that this is a big problem in Christianity, especially in America, actually. It's not that we can't explain the gospel. It's have, we, we have a whole lot of trouble living it. A man was being tailgated by a stressed-out woman on a busy boulevard. When he came to an intersection, the light began to turn, and he did the right thing. He slowed down and stopped at the crosswalk, as he should, even though he could have accelerated and sped on through and made it. No big deal. But the tailgating woman was furious. She blared her horn in anger, cursed at the top of her lungs, and she was so frustrated that she didn't get through, and she dropped her cell phone and her makeup in the process. As she was still in mid-rant, she heard a tap at her window and looked up into the face of a very serious police officer. He ordered her out of the car with her hands up. 
She was taken down to the local station where she was searched, fingerprinted, photographed, and placed in a holding cell. Two hours later, an officer came and opened the door, escorted her back to the front desk where the arresting officer was waiting with her personal effects. He said, ma'am, I am so sorry for this huge mistake. But you've got to understand, when I pulled it behind you, you were blaring your horn in anger, flipping off the guy in front of you, cursing a blue streak at the top of your lungs, and I just couldn't help but notice the Choose Life license plate holder on the back of your car, the What Would Jesus Do bumper sticker on the right, the Follow Me to Sunday School bumper sticker on the left, and the gorgeous chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk. Naturally, I assumed you'd stolen the car. Our lives, our message, our message will always be heard in context with our character. Gypsy Smith, the Irish evangelist, said it well when he said there are five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian. And most people will never read the first four, but they will read you because they want to know, is this thing Real. Now, I know some of you are thinking, but Pastor, haven't you seen that wonderful bumper sticker? Christians aren't perfect, just forgive it. I'd like to burn all those bumper stickers. <laughs> Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Oh, I don't disagree with the two major premises. Yes, we aren't perfect, I'll grant you that. And yes, we're forgiven, I'll grant you that. It's the just part. Are we really saying, don't expect anything from us? Is that really the message we're sending? No, there's no positive difference whatsoever. Can I tell you something? I know we're asking people to accept Christ and not Christians. I get that. I get that. But if people look at our lives over a period of time, not a snapshot, over a long period of time, and they see no qualitative difference in our lives, trust me, they have a reason to question the validity of our message because Jesus promised life change. The gospel is all about God changing us from the inside out. Yes, forgiving us, of course, but also making us new creatures in Christ. And if that's not happening, we're a poor advertisement. And I'm concerned that too often that's the reality. So how can we do this? How can we represent Jesus well? I'm going to quickly share five things. I hope these will be memorable for you as I associate them with different aspects of the body. First, if this is what you're about, if God is stirring in your heart today in this new year, on this New Year's weekend, if God is stirring in you, that's what I, that's what I want for you. I would encourage you to represent Jesus well with your eyes. Here's what I mean. In Matthew 23, verse 37, Jesus looked out over the city of Jerusalem and he was overcome with emotion. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing so I encourage you to represent Jesus well by looking out with your eyes, seeing people as God sees them, 
and praying for them and really asking God to intervene in their lives. Now, the Bible says we're to love our neighbor as ourself, right? It, it didn't say love your neighbor as long as they serve a different God, as long as they don't serve a different God. It doesn't say love your neighbor as long as they're your same ethnicity. The Bible says love your neighbor, period. There's no asterisk, there's no disclaimer, there's no caveat, right? Whoever they are, whether they're strung out and addicted, whether they're living a totally debaucherous, it doesn't matter what's going on, we're to love them just as they are. Now, to be honest with you, I, I want to admit as a pastor, sometimes I do that rather poorly. You know, sadly, sometimes we hear these stories from time to time about a pastor who's had to resign from a church because of a moral failure. It's a senior pastor, a staff person, someone... And, and when we think of a moral failure, we, we usually think of some sexual sin or some financial uh, indiscretion that they committed. And so they were, they, they, they were disqualified and the, the church had to release them and, and so on. And there's all these whisperings and murmurings about our moral failure pastor. But you know what? It, I've never heard of a pastor resigning or having to leave because of a lack of love, ever. But can I tell you the truth? I, Rex Keener, could live next to my neighbor day after day, week after week, month after month, year after blessed year, and never do a loving thing for them, and there would be no scandal. There'd be no whisperings about our moral failure pastor because somehow we're not haunted by a lack of love. But I'll tell you who is. God is. God is because he doesn't want anyone to perish. Before I leave this point and quickly move on, I just want to say to you, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey today, whether you love God or hate God, I don't know whether you love the church or hate the church. But I want to say to you, from the bottom of my heart, if you have any impression of God, anything less than a God who loves you and loves your neighbor, someone has given you the wrong impression of God. And I'm so sorry about that. Because Jesus told us that we're supposed to love people just as they are. So I encourage you to look out and love them with their eyes. Second, represent Jesus well with your ears. Now usually when we think of this, we think about representing Jesus has to do with just talking well. And I often hear people say, well, pastor, I just don't have the right words. Well, I think you can grow in that way. But I would encourage you to think about representing Jesus well by doing some good listening. I'd say that we have more of a deficit there than in our speaking. And listen, listen to the person in your office who's talking about their life, and they'll let you know what is standing between them and Christ. 
Or maybe they'll ask you, oh, you go to Grace Fellowship? Well, tell me, what is it like? You see, they're really wondering, could it be for me? Or when they hand you the Frappuccino over the counter, and you ask them, well, how was your holiday time? And they say, oh, Christmas was lousy for me. Nobody really cares. Why would they say something so vulnerable and blunt as that? What they really want to know is, do you care? Would you be willing to get invested and involved <coughs> in my life? We need to be better listeners. Did you ever play hide and seek as a kid? Boy, I did. You know, as far as I understand it, the goal of the game of hide and seek is to hide so well that nobody can find you, right? That's the goal. But did you ever hide and really not want to be found? I mean, is there anybody out there who's going, it's 30 years later, yes, they still haven't found me, 30 years later. No. If you hid really well, you started regretting it after a while. Boy, they're looking everywhere and they're not finding you and the game's ready to go on and you can tell everybody's getting frustrated and so you'd start clearing your throat, <clears throat> hoping they'd hear and then you'd kind of put out a hand hoping they'd see it or put out a foot hoping they'd catch it. Oh, shucks, you found me. You know, we've got people in our relational world who act like they don't want to be found. But if you listen real close... You notice they got a hand out. You notice a foot out. And what they're really saying is, I need help. I need to know that there's a God who loves me. I need somebody to help me with my life and my future. And I need a purpose in life. Thirdly, we can represent Jesus well in this new year with our hands. Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Good deeds, when you serve people, leads to goodwill. And goodwill often leads to an opportunity to share good news. Through our Grace in Action partners and all kinds of other opportunities, we have lots of opportunities to serve. Back on November the 5th, 2016, less than two months ago, a group of 21 servants from our Half Moon congregation went out and served in a little community less than a mile from the church building. And one of our elders, Dave Triller, was telling me about some of his experiences, and I was so moved. I said, Dave, could you please write some of that stuff down? And so I just want to read a little bit of it to you. Dave writes, my job was to go door to door and to ask the residents if they would allow us to rake their leaves for free. So we'd ask them if they needed other assistance or food for Thanksgiving because we had these turkeys and food baskets to offer them. And lastly, Dave says, I would ask them if there was anything I could pray for. And he says, one of the first people I talked to was a man named Russell. He shared with me that his wife had been in the hospital for almost a year and was coming home that very day. Been in the hospital for a year. He agreed to let us rake his lawn. I asked him if there was anything else we could do for him as I stood at his door. He invited me into a side porch that was full of boxes. And so Dave and another volunteer cleared the boxes so that when his wife arrived later that day, they could bring the wheelchair through that area. Russell was very appreciative. The next memorable stop, Dave writes, was an older woman, probably in her mid-80s. I asked her if she'd like us to rake her leaves. She said yes with a big smile. 
She shared that she was on this oxygen and she could only be out for a few minutes. She tried to keep up with her leaves but couldn't keep up with them. And then when he asked her what could he pray for for her, she had two answers. One, if he would pray that she could come up with some money, about $100, to pay her past due bill for oxygen. The other request was if I could pray that she could be certain that there was a heaven. Wow. Dave says, boy, that just opened the door for me to share Christ with her and that through Christ she could have assurance of her salvation. She accepted a turkey food basket as well and we parted ways. And then he tells about another couple, Peggy and Robert. He said, when they came to the door, they were just shivering, just shivering. They were so cold. And Dave, as he began to ask questions, found out their heat had been off for a month and they didn't have the money to get it turned back on. Dave made a few calls and within 48 hours, the heat was back on. And Dave concludes this by saying he could probably write pages about all the stories of widows and others in need that they met that day. And he said, don't forget, I was not the only one going door to door. There were others doing it and being blessed and being able to bless. And all this happened in a little community, Dave says, less than a mile away from the church. Bravo, servants of Half Moon. That's letting your life be your ministry. That's representing Jesus well with your hands. But two more ways very quickly. A fourth way that we can represent Jesus well is with our mouth. Now, I have a lot of people say to me, well, pastor, I can serve, I can do all kinds of things, but look, if people wanna know about my beliefs, they can come and ask me. Well, that may sound kind of pious. The only problem with that is I've never known of a single person who because of their outstanding life has had people walk up and fall down and go, just by looking at you, I know that I'm a sinner separated from God. I know there's a Savior who died on the cross for me and his atoning death paid the penalty that my sins deserve and what must I do to be saved? I've never heard of one time that happening. No, service can open the door and people may ask questions because of an outstanding life but we need to share the content of the gospel. Jesus said in Matthew 10, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Your opportunities to represent Jesus verbally may come at the most unusual times. Our pastor of business administration, Bill Minchin, recently shared a hilarious story with me that happened to him just before he was about to have a colonoscopy. Now, let me just ask a question. Yes, we are talking about colonoscopies in church. Yes, it is true. Yes, you are experiencing this, okay? Let me ask you a question. How many of you, like me, I've had one so far, probably need to get another one. How many of you, like me, have had at least one colonoscopy? Raise your hand up high and proud. Now, everybody look around at these hands. That's the company of the committed right there. That's the company of the committed right there. It's just a smart thing to do as you get a little bit older. So here's Bill. And if those of you who know Bill Minchin know how dignified he is and what an amazing representative of Jesus Bill is. He's all prepped. The IV is going. The nurse is literally ready to put the anesthesia in to put him to sleep. He's rolled into the operating room there where this procedure is going to go on. And the, oper- the attending doctor notes notices that he's a pastor. And so he puts the whole proceeding on pause for a few minutes 
because he has these questions. These questions, isn't this amazing? And so there is Bell, Ivy going, whole deal, ready to be put to sleep, and he's representing Jesus well right in that moment. And the, the doctor says, well, what does evangelical mean? And so Bill gives an answer. Well, he asked him about water baptism. He asked him about the nature of good works and confession. And he, he said, well, I'm Catholic, but, you know, I just kind of believe that it's better to go straight to the CEO. That's the way he referred to God, you know, uh, when it comes to confession. And the nurse has now administered the anesthesia. Several minutes have gone by. Bill's been answering questions. And then just before Bill fades into oblivion, the doctor asks one more question. He says, if a person dies and realizes they're on their way to purgatory, is there still time to make things right with God? <laughs> now, boy, that adds a whole new meaning to 1 Peter 3.15, doesn't it? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you about the reason for the hope that you have. We can represent Jesus well with our words. And finally, represent Jesus well with your heart. It was the great composer Schubert who said, what I possess in my heart, I will share with the world. What do you possess in your heart? Are you sharing it? What I mean by representing him with your heart, look, this person is not a project to you. This needs to be an overflow of Jesus just coming through your life. That's what it means to let your life be your ministry. What an amazing opportunity we have in this new year to represent Jesus well everywhere we go and give people the right impression of God. Father, thank you for that challenge. And I thank you most of all that we can never do that in our own strength. It's only by you in us, it's only by your spirit in us that we could possibly represent you in such a way that our lives would be like a magnet drawing people to Jesus so they think more of him because of their acquaintance with us. Thank you for all the ways that that's already going on through the people of grace. They are amazing. And for those of us who really need to up our game, those of us who really need to take more seriously what impression we're giving, I pray that this would be a year, God, when we would represent you so winsomely that people would actually come to know you because of their acquaintance with us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen.